show. Thanks for tuning in this Wednesday, September the 18th. Appreciate everyone tuning in today. It is 8 a.m. on the East Coast. 5 a.m. out on the West and all time zones in between and around the world. This is Daniel Wartman coming to you live from the Dream Imaginate Sports Studios. Sorry we were uh, unable to have the show yesterday. Um, I don't get them very often, and it's been a while since I've had one that bad, but uh, got hit with a really, really bad migraine after the show on Monday, and um, it was uh, it was a bad 36 hours, and I uh, had to kind of shut everything down. And it was unable to to do the show yesterday, um, and just had to had to try to to, to work to get uh, get rid of that migraine and feeling better today, uh, getting getting back to normal. Um, for anyone who suffers from regular headaches, um, um, my hats off to you. I, I don't deal with them regularly, but uh, every now and then. A uh, little, uh, little too much time in the sun, and um, and it hits me um, pretty good. And it, it got me uh, after uh, some time this weekend at a at a youth soccer tournament, and uh, and that that hit me pretty hard on uh, on Monday and in, into yesterday. So, apologize for uh, for not being able to get the show uh, to you yesterday. Had a lot that we wanted to talk about, uh, so we we're going to backload that into today, um, and uh, and have uh, ha- have a fully packed show. Chris Kivelhan will be coming up here in just uh, a few minutes as well. Um, an article that we wanted to get to yesterday that we're going to get to right off the bat uh, is uh, out of ESPN. Wayne Rooney says U.S. players in MLS are underpaid. D.C. United striker Wayne Rooney has had that uh, has said that American players in Major League Soccer do not get paid enough. The former Manchester United striker told ESPN FC in an exclusive interview that his U.S. teammates do not earn enough money, calling for team owners and league officials to increase wages in the next collective bargaining agreement. Quote, I feel that American players get underpaid. I feel they deserve to get more money to stay in line with football and the rest of the world and in terms of American sports. I'm not saying it to benefit me. I obviously won't be in the league next season. I think it's only fair to those players who are putting in the same work as all have to earn the right to earn more money for doing it. The the uh, the exist, existing collective bargaining agreement is due to expire on January 31st, 2020. So that's coming up here in just a few months. With players previously threatening to strike if changes are not made to salaries, travel accommodations, and more freedom of movement between MLS clubs when contracts expire. Um, so when when you look at this and you read this article and you hear the, the words that he's saying, um, that is, you know, all true. I mean, he's on the way out. He knows he's on the way out, so he's not worried about repercussions from Don Garber. And it, in in 
that's all good that he's he's saying these things publicly things things like this need to be said uh, major league soccer and the the owners and operators of major league soccer do need to be challenged on this point for sure one important point when it comes to this that i think people often miss is this point what he's saying about paying american players more more freedom of movement, better uh, accommodations when it comes to travel. All of these are overhead operating expenses. And when you look at the way Major League Soccer was designed from from a structure standpoint, from an operations standpoint, the system of their governments governance it was designed specifically to depress wages centralize control and not allow players to have freedom of movement the ability to earn market rate for their labor etc etc the, the system was specifically designed to prevent what Rain, Wayne Rooney is calling for. And, um, and so on that front, you have, to, you have to keep in mind that the system that they are playing in was designed for that very reason. They don't want the players having the ability to go wherever they want, earn as much as they want or as much as the market will pay. And they, they don't want the players to have that kind of power. So when you, when you look at where, where things are for the players the treatment of the players, it is it is no surprise the players don't like where things are, but it's also important to realize as the American soccer public that this is intentional. And um, yes, things need to change on that front, Every what a lot of people don't get is that there there is a place that we need to be in American soccer, and and that place is open merit based soccer. Any step that gets us in that direction, we need to be pushing, and there are a lot of things that we need to do. The the uh, unentanglement between Major League Soccer and the Federation. That needs to happen. If that's by lawsuit, if that's by the the Federation um, voting members, voting for policy or bylaw changes, whatever the case may be, um, I think all of those aspects need to happen, for sure. But at the same time, uh, if if it's Major League Soccer players wanting more freedom of movement, and getting the market rate, I think that's a step in that right direction too because that's how it's handled around the world. And that means less power and control in 
MLS owner operators' pockets. That is another step in the right direction. Those are things we need to be pushing for and looking for. So, you know, I, I, I hope that the, uh, the MLS players association in this collective bargaining agreement really pushed this time. Last time to me, they, they caved too easy. They need to push harder and, um, and hopefully, hopefully they will. Um, another thing, another thing that, um, that we, we saw yesterday is the NPSL announcement and Chris Kivlehan and I are going to get into this in more detail. Uh, he had an opportunity to speak, um, yesterday with, uh, Kenny Farrell. And so, uh, he, he is the, uh, chairman of the NPSL board, so uh, look forward to chatting with him uh, in more detail about what he learned from Kenny in, uh, in this announcement yesterday. But uh, the NPSL announced that they are going to have an extended season option for their teams. It's not mandatory, but they are going to have a spring season. Then they're going to go into their classic season, and then they're going to come out of that and have a fall season. So they're going to extend their season from two, two and a half months, three at the max to where teams are going to be able to play for about, looks like about seven months is what it it looks like roughly. If you play in this extended fall season, according to the announcement, there's going to be uh, higher fees, higher standards, and you're also required to play in the NPSL classic uh, version of their schedule. So you're not leaving the NPSL classic version. You are playing some extra games before that and some extra games after that. It almost feels like the, the members cup that was going to be the founders cup just repeat it that you're going to have that kind of thing going on and then you're going to go play in PSL classic then you're going to have that thing going on again afterwards that's what it sounds like um i ran a poll on uh, on twitter um there's still time to vote you can uh you can you can find me at daniel workman and um and and join this but uh the the poll results so far uh on this front we, we gave uh, this as the option uh, with the with the announcement from NPSL soccer regarding a hybrid spring optional summer mandatory and fall optional season option. What are your thoughts? 16% excited. 21% too little too late. 49% meh doesn't do much. And 14% NPSL Pro, brother. Um, some of the comments. Uh, great footballer at GR8FTBLR asked the question Pro. And according to the NPSL announcement, uh, it is amateur only or 
professionals that are out of contract that are not being paid that are using this to kind of showcase um, their their talents to try to get another contract somewhere else. So not professional teams. Uh, Harmon Sports Group. Um, they asked. This is uh, at Harmon H A R M O N Sports G R P. Only changes or grows if their model removes entrance fees. That that didn't happen. Um, those those fees are still in place for the NPSL as well as uh, the this extended option, which seems to to be an even higher fee. Will Bumgardner, he is at announcer judge. He said, I think the setup is a bit weird. Brendan Noble at Brendan underscore Noble. Awkward setup as most do split two ways, not three ways. But it's important to offer a midway point between NISA and summer only in PSL. And that is a that is the point I think that they're trying to, to fill. Um, I think this should have happened about three years ago. Uh, when the NPSL first started talking about promotion and relegation with the NASL, and then NISA was launched to kind of be a midway point, but it really wasn't a midway point because even between where NISA is today and the NPSL, that's a bridge too far for most clubs. And so this this hybrid season, longer season, is closer to filling that gap. Um, and I think that that's probably part of their thinking. Um, IE soccer at Sal eight, four, 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 seven, five, two, zero. No more college babysitting for my team in parentheses. Hopefully, um, at Anfield riot asked, what's the point of it? NPSL is becoming its own worst enemy, a year removed from its own national champion, closing its doors, and now this identity crisis of are we the USL, UPSL, or NASL? It's a league moving backwards at the moment. Many an unhappy club owner in its ranks. And that's that's an interesting question. Uh, Where is the NPSL in all this? Um... I do believe that that having a longer season is essential to the the growth and progress of the sport in this country. I think that if you're going to be a national league, um, you should be full season. If you're going to consider yourself a stepping stone or the top amateur league in this country, you should be full season. I don't believe the NPSL can be considered the top amateur league in this country until the entire top level of its league setup is full season. I don't consider this move to be full season. Uh, I consider it to be more of a hybrid. And I think, um, you know, at some point they're going to have to go all in this seems like this is them kind of putting their toe in the water and not going all in on this move of being a full season league. And whatever their reasons, I don't know, but the way I look at it, they need to be operating 
on a full season model, there are ways to capture college players when they are available. If that is something that you want to do and it's real easy to do. Um, and we can get into that later in the show, but, um, there are a lot of reasons why the NPSL should be playing a, a full season, long season as its primary season for its top level. And, you know, this is, this is definitely a, a step in the right direction. I don't believe this is uh, as big of a deal as they are making it out to be. Um, but I'm happy to see uh, that, there's finally some movement there. The NPSL, in in my view, on a macro level, moves way too slow on these issues. And uh, I think part of it is the fact that uh, it is a, a member-run uh, organization. And um, when you have a member-run organization, it requires strong leadership. And, and it, and it re- requires bold vision to really move the needle. And, uh, and I don't feel like um, this is a bold plan, but I do think it is a conservative step in the right direction. So uh, glad that they did that and look forward to having uh, that chat with Chris Kevilhan coming up here in just a few minutes as we look at uh, NISA as well as this NPSL announcement. Our sponsor this half hour is... Ducktick brand, D-U-K-T-I-G brand.com. Use promo code DWSHOW to get 10% off your order. They are the maker of soccer journals, soccer notebooks. If you're planning sessions, they've got some session cards uh, that can really help you out. Go to ducktickbrand.com and use promo code DWSHOW to get 10% off of your order. We'll be right back after this with Chris Kivlahan. Tuning in this morning, we are really excited to have joining us again. Stopping by the show, a friend of the show, Chris Kivlahan. Chris, how are you this morning? I'm doing great, Daniel. Thanks for having me on. 
Thanks for coming on the show. Um, a lot of news uh, swirling around. Nisa just getting kicked off yesterday. Uh, an announcement from the NPSL. Uh, let's start with Nisa. Um, I know that that you and I have talked behind the scenes uh, for a while about the prospects of Nisa, um, the idea of Nisa even getting off the ground, what it could mean for the landscape of soccer. What what have you seen so far? Uh, what have your impressions been here at, at the beginning stages in these first few weeks of play? Yeah, so I think that uh, you know we see um, a pretty a pretty wide variety of, of quality, you know, throughout the league, you know, in its first season, uh, both in terms of quality on the field, as well as production values of streams and that type of thing. So I think um, there are definitely some, some, you know, really good things uh, for them to, uh, to look at as they start off the you know, first game between Oakland and Cal United couldn't have been more exciting. Um, very good quality stream, uh, you know, over 4,000 people in attendance in Oakland, you, you know, a hat trick, uh, and then you had a comeback. I mean, you couldn't ask for more than that. That was a great start. Um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, you also had a really positive uh, start in San Diego for 1904 FC. I think there have been a lot of kind of question marks about how that would go. Um, and while they were in a huge cavernous venue, they got 3,000 people there. Uh, they beat Cal United, which is a good team despite their their slow start. Um, you know, and then, but I think when you look at the, you know, maybe some of the other matches, um, you know, the stream quality was not there. Um, you know, whether it was LA Force's uh, first home game or it was the game that was just in Atlanta, a lot of uh, room for improvement in terms of the professionalism. Uh, but you know, they're they're getting started, so hopefully they can raise the level up to uh, to the highest level uh, that they have currently. Now, those who are looking at the league structures here in the U.S., you have Major League Soccer operating at Division One, USL Championship at Division Two, and then USL also now have uh, USL League One operating at Division Three. NISA has slotted in that same Division Three level of professional sanctioning. We don't have an open system, so these labels really don't mean that much other than the fact they are professionally sanctioned leagues. Uh, when we look at the, the collection of these leagues from MLS to USL to NISA, NISA's the only one that is really trying to champion the cause of independent clubs. And uh, I, I've talked to a lot of clubs around the country behind the scenes, off the record uh, about, you know, what they're looking for, what they're hoping for. And NISA right now is the only, you know, with NASL, you know, for all intents and purposes, dead at this point. Uh it, it, with with little hope of coming back uh, unless the lawsuits get something resolved in a, in a favorable way in the next you know twelve months, I just don't see any way back for that league uh, as an entity or, or a project anytime soon. So, 
if 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 this is it, if NISA is it, the only hope at this point for independent club soccer at a professionally sanctioned level with the U.S. Soccer Federation, uh, what are you hearing from clubs around the country in terms of uh, prospects of joining, interest in joining NISA, you know, growing the number of clubs beyond this initial uh, group uh, to get to a larger and, and more fuller coverage around the country in terms of the overall number of teams and clubs participating in the league. What are you hearing on that front? Yeah, I mean, I hear they have a lot of interest. Um, you know, that interest is is pretty much all over the country, uh, though certainly easier uh, for them to, to grow within the regions that they're already in. But I understand there's, you know, a good bit of interest in the southeast, a good bit of interest in the northeast, um, a good bit of interest out west as well. Maybe the Midwest is an area where they could they could use, you know, a little bit more um, interest. But they've got Detroit City uh, there as an anchor. Um, so uh, you know, once you have the anchor, things tend to spring up around it. So um, so yeah, I think I think you know from what I hear, they have a lot of interest. Now how that translates into how many teams actually apply to join for the fall twenty twenty. Uh, season, I think we'll know that pretty soon because that deadline's coming up. Spring 2020, uh, given uh, what we what we see right now, we expect there to be around 12 teams. Um, I think it's 13 on paper, but from everything I understand, the Baton Rouge uh, project is is not happening. Um, so it's it's more it's more like 12 uh, at this point, assuming uh, you know all goes well with the teams there planned to join which detroit and chattanooga i don't think we need to worry about um and the teams that are playing right now so they'll be at 12 in the spring most likely and then the fall i mean who knows it could be at 16 to 20 now uh a couple things in terms of where the league is right now. First is uh, on the Baton Rouge front. Uh, that is a, a group that were, uh, my understanding is we're involved in, in NISA and in, in talks with NISA for quite a while. Uh, what have you heard in terms of them backing out? Is this a, a permanent backing out of the league or is this a stalled delay looking at coming in at a later date? Uh, do you have any clarification on that in terms of Baton Rouge? Yeah, my understanding is the group that um, was involved in Baton Rouge um, is no longer uh, intending to have a pro soccer team that could have changed in the last six weeks or so since I heard an update on it. But, uh, you know, the, the last I heard was that they're, they're out. Um, so, um, you know, we'll see, you know, maybe somebody will come back in for the market. Maybe they'll come back in. I don't know. Um, usually doesn't happen that way. Now, one of the things, uh, and we talked uh, with with Cardick on the show on Monday uh, about this as well, the the idea of independent club soccer versus, um, you know, your single entity or your franchise-based systems uh, with USL. Uh, In those systems, you have a lot of centralized control over what teams are allowed to do and the power comes from the top down in the case of independent club soccer this is where you've got to find a balance between the independence of the clubs the the self-determination of the clubs as well as figuring out okay where's our common grounds for our standards 
operation so that we do have quality and excellence across the league. You mentioned Atlanta, uh, you know, with the, the stream uh, the, on social media, they, they've gotten hammered over their uh, uh, lack of communication, uh, social media, as well as, uh, you know, the graphics and, and their, their logos, etc. cetera. Um, you know, looking at the league as a whole, do you, do you know where NISA is in terms of that uh, conversation amongst themselves, the clubs themselves about their standards and making sure that uh, communications uh, are, are improving across the league uh, as well as, you know, maybe design standards and et cetera. Do you know if those things have been sorted out yet or is that kind of a work in progress? I think it's a work in progress. Um, you know, we've seen Im- a improvement in relative terms, uh, even from Atlanta, I think in the last couple weeks, um, they kind of went from being extremely silent to starting to release some information. They played their first game. Uh, it went off. Um, but, uh, you know, the stream definitely could have been better. Hopefully that's something that'll, that'll improve, you know, in their future matches. And I think that, you know, there's a couple, there's a couple teams that maybe are not used to being at a professional level that maybe need to need to step it up. And I think it's, I think it's a work in progress. Hopefully by the spring, uh, they'll have all this sorted out by the time Detroit and Chattanooga get in the league. Now, uh, you mentioned the spring with NISA, um, the, the spring season. Are they going to run fall to spring with the two seasons, or is it going to be spring to fall? From what I've heard, it's, it's still fall to spring. Um, but, you know, certainly they could change that. I've, I've heard some people, people have asked me that question a couple times. So maybe there's something going on to change that. But uh, as far as I know, um, you know, they're looking at bringing in the next batch of teams in fall 2020. I don't know if they're going to bring any teams in spring 2020 or if they're going to make them wait until fall 2021. Um, you know, I think when you have a split fall season and spring season and you have the ability for teams to enter at either one, it's sort of, uh, you know, you could, you could ask yourself which one starts you know, unless you're going to have a championship at the end of one of them, or right, that encompasses both seasons. It's like you know, it's a bit of a you know you can you can choose your idea of where it starts. And and that really kind of brings me up to to the next point of conversation, which is the NPSL. Yesterday um, made an announcement. Uh, they've been pumping this out. People were speculating uh, everything from uh, you know NPSL Pro is finally going to arrive, promotion and relegation with NISA. They were going to uh, provide world peace. Um, you know, solve all of the uh, climate uh, change issues around the world. And uh, their announcement came out. To to be that they were going to have a uh, an option for some teams uh, within the the NPSL to extend uh, their their seasons by having a spring uh, season stop, do their normal summer season, come back and do a fall season to give them the opportunity to play under the un, uh, NPSL umbrella for a longer period of time in the calendar year rather than just, you know, May and June, which has uh, been the primary, um, you know, NPSL 
kind of the Cape Cod League style summer schedule that they've been running on uh, since their inception. Um, what what have you learned on that? Uh, and and what what are your what are your uh, thoughts on the announcement? Uh, I, I know it's a big letdown that we didn't solve all of the world's problems uh, with with this NPSL announcement, uh, but uh, it is a step in the right direction, uh, in my view, from where where the NPSL are to where it needs to be. Uh, what have you learned from uh, from Kenny uh, Farrell and in the NPSL? in uh, in that announcement of an extended season for the NPSL? Sure. I think certainly when viewed through the the lens of NPSL Pro and a lot of the, the hype that was around the Founders Cup and what that could have become, you know, something like a full season edition of NPSL can seem a little bit of a letdown, but it's actually a really big milestone for the MPSL. Um, and I think, uh, you know, it can, it can be an important um, piece of the puzzle in the overall uh, soccer landscape in the U.S. Um, just because of the, the professionalism that the MPSL brings to the table um, and the way they run things, you know, to that full season format could, could be, uh, could be, a big, a big missing piece of the puzzle. You know, what was clear to me from the conversation with Kenny is that um, MPSL is aspiring to be the top level of amateur soccer in the U.S. Um, they want to be, you know, they, they look at the models being the conference, right? Um, and, uh, you know, you're going to have amateur players. Maybe you'll have some unpaid professional players who are in between jobs looking for that showcase, um, on, on some of the teams, uh, but you know, the founders cup, um, situation helped them understand, you know, the boundaries with which they can play in under USASA. Um, and with that understanding, they've created this model, um, that they're going to run for the next two to three years and then learn from it and adapt. So after a couple of years, Maybe they'll go away from having the classic NPSL summer season in the middle and just have a spring season and a fall season at one level for, you know, for, the, for the teams that want to have that full season and then have the summer season be a separate thing. But they're going to start out the way they're starting out, um, and then they're going to adapt from there. So um, I think it's an important uh, thing because there are a lot of teams that want to have that professionally run full season option at the amateur level um, that, uh, that, you know, aren't ready to go pro, whether it's because of ability to meet pro league standards or they just don't feel mature enough as an operation to take it up to that level. So this gives them an in-between step from the summer season. Um, and, uh, you know, I think it can play an important role. Looking at the league, um, in my view, this is uh, this has been a uh, an option that you know is is two or three years behind uh, market demand. Um, you know, I think even internally within uh, the NPSL clubs like Detroit and Chattanooga, for example, uh, as well as some others, um, have been wanting and needing this option for years. 
and uh you know didn't have it uh and and we're really kind of stuck with the npsl uh short season model as kind of their only option at, at the amateur space having said that um you know, I do think it is a step in the right direction. One of the things I think where we are looking, uh, you know, back to our, the earlier part of our conversation with Nisa, um, if you think back to a few years ago when the NASL was still around, and uh, this is this is pre-NISA. NISA, uh, people forget, NISA was actually uh, created by Peter Wilt to try to fill the gap between NPSL and NASL um, as kind of a stepping stone uh, because the gap was too big. But if you if you actually look at where the NPSL is uh, prior to this announcement, there was the, the gap between the NPSL as a classic season form of a two-month season. The gap between that and NISA is still too large of a step uh, for club for most clubs, and uh, and so having this this uh, extended option, I do think is going to provide a better runway for clubs to work on becoming professional or or at least really high elite level amateur to, to, to aspire to become professional. Um, it's really hard to execute on that and pull that off when you're only really in operation with the public for two months out of the year. Uh, you need that community presence and that ability to have some longevity. Uh, this can be an option with that. Um, in, in terms of the conversations with Kenny, was there any, um, any, any talk about connecting to NISA in the future? Um, and, and the idea of, of, of orienting the seasons to mirror the start and finish in terms of uh, fall to spring or spring to fall to kind of, you know, create somewhat of a runway between the two. There was not a um, particular commitment to working with NISA, but there was an openness to working with professional leagues, um, you know, without, without committing to any one professional league. Um, and I think that you expressed the kind of the purpose of this step on the wrong really well, you know, and I think the spirit of what they're trying to accomplish with this is to give a platform for those clubs, like, let's just say, like in Atlantic City uh, FC, who has already thrown their hat in the ring publicly um, on Twitter, um, or, you know, in Asheville uh, is another example of a club that might be ready for this type of move to, you know, to take it to another level. Uh, without having to um, bring on that wealthy investor who can su- you know support losing a million dollars a year at the pro level and without taking on all those expenses. So you know it's um, it's an important step forward. Um, it's not necessarily a commitment to work with NISA. I think that makes the most sense. Um, and I think it closes that gap, as you were saying, between a short season, you know three month or so, uh, you know, four with playoffs league, um, mostly filled with college players, right? And um, you know, something that that is closer to a professional experience. One of the things that Kenny mentioned in the conversation was 
they want the fan experience to be a professional experience. Um, they want it to feel like you're at a Division three game when you go there as a fan uh, and not to be able to tell the difference. Um, so, you know, if you can get your game day operations to that level where you're already running the thing like it's professional, it closes the gap on, on what you have to do in order to, to really, truly meet that professional level. And frankly, you're probably more likely to attract a professional league standards qualified investor um, who sees what you're doing and wants to get in on it. Now, in terms of the NPSL, the participation fees with the NPSL, uh, they've risen uh, over the recent uh, months. Uh, they were sitting somewhere around 15. That number's gone up a little bit. I, I saw in their release um, that there would be uh, higher fees and, and higher standards for those clubs wanting to participate uh, in the you know extended season option. And did you get any idea of, uh, of a ballpark of where those fees are going to lie and what those fees include uh, in terms of uh, what you get for your money if you are a club participating with the NPSL in, uh, in that, that extended season option? I didn't get a sense of what the costs would be um, for teams. I think if we want to speculate around that, the number I had heard for the Founders Cup uh, was going to be 25000 for the fall. Um, and then we, I believe we understand that NISA uh, charges around 100000 per year. So probably will land somewhere between those two numbers would be my guess. Um, in terms of the, the, you know, the annual participation fees. But, I mean, I think that's to be determined. What we did talk about was um, the standards around, uh, you know, the operations uh, being higher, um, the need to vet owners uh, carefully uh, and clubs carefully to make sure that the club has a business model or financial support from an owner that will allow it to keep its commitment to joining this league. Uh, so they're going to look at even the existing NPSL teams that want to move up and make sure that they have the wherewithal. And unlike the pro league standards, it's not just going to be a, you know, does this person meet $10 million? You know, it's going to be looking at a more complete picture of the situation. Um, you know, under the pro league standards, Detroit city couldn't, couldn't make that move up. But if you just evaluated their business model, you would say, wow, this, this club actually generates revenue at a significant pace. They, they, they can make the move up without taking on wealthy owners. So MPSL will have the latitude in order to make a, a decision that's not just sort of black or white on, you know, a ownership net worth. Um, so, and then, Stadium standards will be higher, um, you know, and that will be enforced, you know, more closely as well as streaming standards. Um, last question here on the NPSL, the commissioner uh, or the chairman of the board, uh, Kenny Farrell, uh, who you spoke with, uh, put his New Orleans jesters on hiatus uh, for this past uh, 2019 season. Um, and uh, I heard a lot of rumblings and grumblings uh, in and around the NPSL over that move. And uh, and the fact that it is a, you know, members organization and, and, and yet he was a, a member uh, that was not participating actively with, with his own club. 
any word from Kenny about where the jesters are in this whole picture? So Kenny has a pretty firm rule, um, which I respected since, since, you know, we've talked several times um, at this point um, that he doesn't like to talk about the jesters in an MPSL focused in an interview that is in the context of his being chairman of the MPSL um, and, uh, you know, vice versa. He doesn't want to wear both hats in an interview. So, so I respected that, but uh, we're going to, we're going to have a conversation about the jesters and not talk about the MPSL per se um, in the near future to catch up on, on what's going on there. Um, So I don't know if the jesters will be participating in this, this new league or not. I think it, you know, it would it would make a lot of sense, but I, you know, I've I've heard them linked with, you know, the various pro league options that exist out there as well. So we'll just have to see what decision they make on that front. Fair enough. Well, Chris, look, thanks for coming on the show and uh, sh- you know sharing things you've learned and, and your insights here on NISA and NPSL. You and I've talked many times uh, on the phone about. Uh, Hoping, wishing, praying for uh, some progress, and I feel like we're starting to see a little bit of progress uh, on the NISA side of things, a little bit of progress on the NPSL side of things, and amateur soccer. There's still a very, very, very long way to go, um, but the fact that we're we're starting to at least get some incremental movement is at least uh, a positive sign, even if it's not as as quick and as bold as I would like. Uh, to see how can people find you and find your work um, uh, online and on social media? Sure. Um, my articles appear on midfieldpress.com uh, and you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, it's my last name, K I V as in Victor, L E H A N as in Norm. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's, that's where you can find me. Well, Chris, thanks for coming on the show. We really do appreciate it. Um, as always, I, I love chatting with you and uh, always love reading your work. And uh, you, you do great stuff there with Midfield Press. So keep up the great work. We will continue to follow and look forward to having you back on again very soon. Awesome. Thanks, Daniel. Thank you. That is Chris Kivlehan. We'll be right back after a word from Charity Water coming up right after this. No one, no man, no woman, no child should ever have to drink green water with bugs, with algae, with disease in it. Bad water and a lack of toilets kills more people than all the wars in the world. We know how to bring clean drinking water right now to every single person on earth. And when you can bring water into communities, it truly transforms them. It changes everything. Now you could know that you'd made a difference. You could know that you had truly impacted the life of a family, of a community, of a region. There was either clean water or there wasn't. We believe in a world where every single person has clean and safe water to drink, and we will continue fighting until that happens. 
Welcome back into the show. Thanks for tuning in. I'd really like to thank Chris Kivelhan for joining us today. Always good to get his insight on the game and uh, hear uh, hear about some of the conversations he's having uh, in regards to articles with Midfield Press, etc. And uh, you know, when we look at the landscape of American soccer. If you aspire to be a professional independent soccer club, right now there's only one option for you, and that is NISA. And uh, if you want a pathway to get to NISA, there's not a clear road and uh, certainly not a, a clear incubator of a league. The NPSL is trying to fill that void uh, by ex- offering this uh, hybrid extended season, and I do think it's a step in the right direction. Don't think it's the... Uh, the ultimate answer, but um, I, I am happy that there is some progress there. One of the, the important points about NISA uh, that I think people need to understand, when you look at the professional league standards uh, that U.S. soccer created, it it has a three-tiered setup, Division One, Two, and 3. There is no promotion and relegation between the three. There, there is, uh, that is the principle of sporting merit as defined by FIFA. That, is not, that does not exist. So when you look at the three tiers, there are different rules for different levels. And uh, there's even some different treatment in regards to independent clubs versus single entity leagues. But when you when you examine the rules, the first division restrictions are very prohibitive about ownership, net worth, time zones, etc. It is very difficult to build a league from scratch in Division One, and really, you know, if you're doing soccer the way it's done around the world, it should be an organic growth. I don't really like the idea of starting a league as a first division league because the very point of starting the league is that it's got to grow. It's got to go somewhere. Now, I understand in the absence of, of anything existing in D1, then you know maybe it's an endeavor worth, worth taking on. But really and truly, I do think the leagues and the clubs should be incubated and they need time to grow. Uh, the beauty of a promotion and relegation system is that it is already naturally and organically set up to, to foster that process. When you put in the right rules and the right operating and league standards with each level, you are preparing clubs for life at the next level. In, in the English pyramid, they do this by having, as you move up, certain standards begin to get raised whether that's you know stadium capacity whether that's your pitch um your stands certain levels of your operation and and some of these things don't go into effect in day one it's usually by the end of your first or second or third year in the league so they give you time that way if you do lose and go down hey look you're, you're not going bankrupt over that that's a sensible way to go about this this actually fosters growth and investment in 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 your domestic leagues and and clubs that's missing in American soccer, and as much as Major League Soccer wants to pretend that what they're doing is best for, for American soccer, it's not. They're doing what they're, what they're allowed to do, what they can get away with, and that, that is it, plain and simple. 
when when looking at this tiered system in American soccer that has been set up by the U.S. Soccer Federation, it was th- these rules were written heavily influenced and and written by Major League Soccer to protect Major League Soccer, and were written for closed leagues in mind. They were not written to prepare clubs to move up. So, for example, if 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 you were to play in a league, and let's say right now uh, the USL Championship and USL League One announced that between those two leagues they were going to begin promotion relegation. The USL has every every right to to implement that system between those two leagues. They control and own those two leagues. It's theirs to do with whatever they want and they could do that if they if they so chose to do it. The problem is is the way the US Soccer Federation wrote the professional league standards rules, there is no window of adopting those standards after you're in the league. Now, the way the rest of the world works in that regard is that if a team from USL League One were to get promoted to the USL Championship, they would typically have till the end of their first, sometimes their second, in some cases, end of their third year in the league to be in compliance with those standards. That way, if a team moved up, didn't do well, and came back down, you're you're not going under. If the USL league one team that got promoted to the usl championship if that system went into place the way the rules are written right now they would from day one have to in some cases completely change their ownership um they would have to to do immediate upgrades on on stadium uh capacity to to to, to just be able to play in the usl championship from day one so the rules as they are written are, are completely um, not workable for an open system. And we're going to get into all the details of that in, in, uh, in a future show. But um, looking at some of these recent comments from Don Garber um, had, me, had me thinking about some of this as well. Um, Garber uh, told the Canadian uh, Soccer Association they need to figure out how to engage with MLS teams for the good of cl- Canadian player development. This is uh, Don Garber flexing. This is Don Garber throwing his weight around. This is Don Garber not happy with the fact that Canadian soccer is figuring out a way to do what they do without him. He said, quote, I think the system is working well for where we are today, but I don't think it is the right system for the future. Now, 10, 12 years ago, when we had reserve teams that were playing against each other, it was the only competition that we could have for the bottom of our roster and for an extended roster to allow players that we were signing that were not playing for the first team a chance to get competitive games. Then we went and met with the NASL, which is now defunct, and the USL. And we said, why don't we create a relationship where we will buy and invest in teams in your respective leagues so that we could have those players play in a very competitive environment against guys who are trying to nick at their heels and win a game, who are mature players and who are playing in front of fans. That environment is what makes professional football soccer work all around the world. The NASL passed on it, and the USL said yes. The USL at the time was Division 3. They were not Division 2. They were Division 3. And it wasn't until the USL did a deal 
with MLS that magically they um, they were able to get into Division Two and work and collude with MLS to kill the NASL. Now, the NASL has some self-inflicted wounds. There's no doubt about it. But the Federation and MLS, which is what they're in a lawsuit over right now, were part of killing the NASL. It was a take-it-or-leave-it-offer. You don't go along with us, we're going to destroy you. And that's, that's effectively what they were able to do. Going back to the earlier point of this conversation, when you look at the professional league standards and NISA and the hope for independent clubs, as long as the goalposts are not moved, if you're an independent professional club soccer uh, league, association of clubs, there is no reason to be in Division Two. Because there is no promotion relegation. You, you get nothing from it. You are, you are much more free to do what you need to do in Division Three. You can write your own rules. There are minimum standards there, but they're less restrictive. I still don't like them, but they're a lot more palpable. A lot more achievable for clubs. I do think I do think that that rule changes need to be made in that regard when it comes to the network net worth ownership of clubs. I think that clubs should also have the ability to prove viability that they have the funds and the budget to operate and that means that they could be a supporter owned club and they can prove they have the funding. I think it's a really having a net worth ownership as a requirement is a really poor choice because there's a lot of wealthy people that don't know how to run the sport that lose money all the time because they don't know the business they're in. And I think there's a lot of people that may not have near as much net worth, but, but cobbled together in a supporter owned club in a Bundesliga style model could be very, very successful. And I, so I think we need to change the rules. But in, in the meantime, I think that that setup at Division Three is the way the, where NISA is, is all they should be concerned with. If you're going to do anything, and I'm not suggesting that they should, unless it's uh, for strategic reasons, I don't think they should ever look at Division Two. I think if you're going to do anything, you should you should look at a Division One. At Division One, you can then you know make the claim to sponsors. You're at the same level of MLS, and I do think at that point there's some there's some equity and value in that. I don't think there's much equity and value in Division Two. I think you can really get a lot done in Division Three, and if you do things the right way, if NISA builds the right way and really grows and, and implements a structure of promotion relegation and then connects with leagues below it, I believe that they can actually make what they're doing in Division Three more valuable than the USL Championship in Division Two. So when you when you hear things from Don Garber. It's just, it's posturing, it's, it's, it's the bully blowing the bullhorn saying this is what I want. 
And if you don't give me what I want, then there will be repercussions. That's how they operate. And um, that's why we have a lot of the mess that we have. And uh, it's time for change. It's time for all of those things to change because American soccer needs the opportunity to grow, to get better, to get bigger organically. And that doesn't happen in our current system. Despite what Don Garber says, the best thing for Canadian soccer is the Canadian Premier League and the investment from the Canadian Soccer Association to grow their league and their membership and not worry about Major League Soccer. Thanks for joining the show, for tuning in. As always, you can watch the show at facebook.com forward slash WRKMN. W-R-K-M-N or you can watch at DanielWorkman.com Twitter or Instagram at Daniel Workman. Thanks for tuning into the show. Again, apologies for, for not being able to come on yesterday. We are slowly getting back to normal and uh, look forward uh, looking forward to the show tomorrow. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see everybody again tomorrow.